Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Thanks be to God. Welcome, uh, all of you, to worship this morning. If you're visiting today, we're so glad that you're with us. And we pray and trust that as you're worshiping today that the Lord would encourage your heart. If you need anything, don't hesitate to ask or reach out or if you have any questions. And if you need access during the week, any of you, you can access us through the church website. And um, we really do want to bless you and encourage you. And we're just glad that we're able to worship together this morning. Um, We're going to look at this one line. um, And I I want you to hear it today uh, personally. Uh, In this passage of scripture, Jesus encounters a man who's blind, and this man is unrelenting in crying out to Jesus, despite the fact that uh, external voices are uh, telling him to be silent, and he says, uh, Jesus comes to him, as Gabe just read, and and, uh, says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a marvel that Jesus says that to us? What do you want me to do for you? I want you to hear that today. I want you to hear that from the word of God today, that Jesus is saying that to you right now. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man responds by saying, Lord, I want you to restore my sight. And uh, we, we have several people in our church family where physical sight has been a, and is a ongoing challenge. And as you hear that, you, you know you, it resonates with you and Brad, if you're in the hospital and watching right now, I want you to know we're praying for you and um, pray that as you're battling with sight and some of those physical things that the Lord might be merciful to you. But what you and I need to see is that it is really easy in our lives to lose sight of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, We lose sight of Jesus in our everyday lives. There's things that come up. There's demands that are placed upon us. There's the, the pull of the world. There's past sorrows, things that kind of crowd into our minds. I'm so glad for worship. In fact, I'm glad we have the Wednesday night focus just for my sake. I need to be with God's people. I need to hear the word of God. I need to hear the songs of the gospel being sung over me because it's so easy to lose sight of Jesus. Am I the only one? It happens to us on an ongoing basis. I remember as a, a young lad of about four years of age, or maybe three, somewhere in that um, age gap uh, uh, period, uh, my parents took me to a store that was called Kmart. Anybody old enough to remember what Kmart? Does Kmart exist? I don't even know if it exists anymore, but you know, it's a, a, a cheaper version of Target, I guess. I don't know. But I remember being in Kmart and uh, being with mom and dad, and they split and went different directions. And I was with mom in the women's clothing section, and, uh, which was not where I wanted to be. And so I said, can I go with dad? And she said, yes, go after him. And so I ran down the aisle and hooked in the direction he went, and I lost sight of him. I couldn't see him. But I went where I thought he was, and he wasn't there. And then somewhere in the middle of all of that, I thought I better return to home base so I ran for mom, and she wasn't where. And I, that, that's when I realized they didn't love me. <laughs> it was intentional. No, I, I, I uh, looked for them, and I, you know what? I, in the middle of all of that, I realized I've got to get some help because I couldn't find them. 
So I went to the front desk and I told them I was lost and they got on the megaphone and blamed my parents for neglect over the public intercom. And I realized at that time, if you fake being lost, they'll give you free candy at the counter. Uh, It's not a fun feeling when you lose sight of Jesus. And every one of us needs to be reminded by the word of God that Jesus calls us to see him and to seek him. And if you seek him, you will be found by him. Uh, In the scriptures, the apostle Paul, when he is converted, he's given a ministry to go out and open the eyes of the blind. Do you remember when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus? What was the first thing that happened to him when he saw Jesus? He went blind. And then Christ healed him as a living illustration of the mission that God had given to him. So in Acts chapter 26, Jesus commends him. Paul tells the story of Jesus' encounter with him, and he says in Acts 26, 18, that he was called to go to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Aren't you glad that God opens the eyes of the blind? Can you still remember when he did that for you? It's a marvelous feeling. I just got to tell you, that's not a one-time event. It, it, It is an event where you're transformed, but I'll tell you, we need Jesus to keep helping us with our eyesight, to bring our eyes back. In fact, the apostle Paul, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, celebrating in the first 14 verses their salvation, then tells them why and how he prays for them. Listen to Ephesians 1, 15. He says, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith, so the Christians, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Friends, that's written to believers. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? You see, you and I forget how great our salvation is. And not only that, the depths and the riches of his love we have not begun to plumb. And we need one another. We need the ministry. We need reminders to come and get our vision, our sight set back on Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you as we go into this text in in Luke chapter 18 is, have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost sight of Jesus? It could be your busyness. It could be your sorrow. It could be all of the demands and the noise of the world. It could be the uncertainty. But somehow in the middle of it all, Jesus has gone cloudy. The vision is not clear uh, to you. And here's what I want you to do today. Just you, in front of the Lord, in your heart, say, Lord, you can pray this prayer. Restore my sight. Let me see Jesus. I'll tell you, we need to do this for one another and with one another the rest of our lives until we see him face to face and we'll be finally changed forever so it's interesting in this passage of scripture i want you to look at it because there's two sections that gabe just read for us and in the first section jesus takes the 12 
and has a conversation with them about the gospel. He articulates the gospel, which he does repeatedly in the gospel of Luke. He tells them the details of what is about to happen. And, and what you and I need to see is the disciples cannot see. They can't see. They have physical eyes, but they're blind to what he's saying. And then at the second part of this text, he goes towards Jericho and meets a man who is physically blind, but he can see. And you and I need to see there's a world of difference. Helen Keller has uh, the famous line John reminded me of this week, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. And so you and I just need to think about that this morning. Lord, restore my sight. Whatever's clouded my vision of you, whatever about your gospel I haven't understood. So I'm going to start by looking at the disciples and talk about spiritual blindness. What does it look like? And then, uh, I'm calling it the misery of spiritual blindness. And then I want us to see the mercy of spiritual sight in the blind man who Jesus encounters. So if you look at Luke chapter 18 and 31 to 34, I just want to say spiritual blindness is a universal condition of the heart that affects our human capacity for true spiritual understanding. Everyone has spiritual blindness until their eyes are healed by the Lord. It is, in fact, a heart of resistant unbelief that leads us, leaves us miserable and fearful because we cannot and we will not see or comprehend the certainty of our hope in Christ. It's, it's amazing. These disciples are being told Christ will go to Jerusalem. He'll be, I mean, just even when Gabe was reading, he'll be flogged. Just, just the little bit of what that means for you and I. He did that for you, friends. He did that for me. Then he goes and he is crucified and hung on a tree and he's buried in the ground. And he will what on the third day? Rise again. He announces the gospel to these disciples. But they didn't get it. Look at verse 34. It says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Now as you and I look at that text, they understood none of it and it was hidden from them. We are brought with human frailty and divine sovereignty. And both of those things are in the text. We are not to read this text and go, they weren't responsible for what they heard. We're to read it and say, these men were miserably, these disciples, blind to who Jesus was. And because of that, at simultaneously in the purpose of God, it was hidden from them. But not so the blind man. Later in the text, listen to Tom Schreiner. He says, we must not overread the reference of God's sovereignty as if it suggested that the 12 were not responsible for their incomprehension, both truths must be held in tension. The disciples should understand what Jesus teaches. They should. He's said it already multiple times, and he's going to say it multiple times again in simple language to them. And it says they, they should understand at the same time all of it is happening under God's sovereign control. Look at verse 31. It says, and taking the 12, he said to them, what? See. See. Greek is what I do. It means behold. He's talking to these disciples and telling them to see. But they cannot see because of their spiritual blindness. So I want to talk about, what's, what, about the misery of spiritual blindness. What is spiritual blindness? Number one, spiritual blindness, you and I have to see, is willful ignorance. 
And I want you to think about that because that's why they're responsible and, and accountable. And we need to know sometimes when we have lost sight of Jesus, it's because of our willful ignorance. We've heard it, but our minds and our priorities and our agenda is in another direction. We can't see or make sense of the clear teaching on the suffering of Christ because they don't fit our plans of the exaltation of self. If I'm going to be king, then I need Jesus' story. And that's the problem. He starts talking about crucifixion and humbling and, 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 and being arrested. And they listen to that and go, but, but we're on a success mission. And he's going, eh. Right? Now, just to see that, go to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to show you this morning, uh, just kind of scan over multiple texts in the Gospel of Luke where Luke tells, or Jesus tells his disciples, he's going to suffer. So if you look in, in chapter 9 and verse 21 and 22, he, it says here, this, Luke writes, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Does that sound very similar to what we just read? Look down later in verse 43. And it says, And they were all astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. So in Luke 18, he's saying, see, and in, verse, in Luke 9, he's saying, hear. Comprehend. He says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand it. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now listen to the next line. Right after he tells them about what's going to happen to them, it says this. An argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. Now don't you look at it and marvel? And then you and I need to stop and go, that's me. That's you and I. You see, when we're coming to Jesus, we want the story to talk about how I'm going to be exalted, how I'm going to rule, how Jesus is going to be able to help me reach my agenda. And then he talks about suffering and the cross. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 22. I mean, the stunning reality in this passage of Scripture is that in Luke chapter 22, it's the time where he institutes the Lord's Supper. And so here he is, they get a room. Uh, Judas has decided to um, betray Jesus, sell Jesus. They plan to have um, the feast of the Passover together. They go into the upper room. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He takes the elements of the Passover and he says, this bread is my body which is given to you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's, he's manifesting, he's, he's putting a, a living demonstration of what he's about to do. He's about to die on the cross for your sins. That's what he says. Now look at verse 24 of Luke 22. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Ah, oh, friends, does that not seem absolutely absurd to you? 
Yeah, it's truth. Here's the, the sad thing. You and I regularly try to adjust Jesus around our agenda. You and I are always battling. We lose sight of Jesus because suddenly the call of the kingdom, the call of the cross, the call of the gospel is taking us out of the comfort zone of the life we wish we already had. The influencer life where you live your best life now. Is Jesus living his best life now? I've got to tell you, he is. But he knows what the real best is. Your salvation, your forgiveness, the will of his father you see the disciples when they go oh you're going to die who's going to be the greatest that's willful ignorance they can't see it because they're looking at self they're looking in the mirror I want, I, I'm going to ask you some questions from Paul Tripp Paul Tripp says if you want to diagnose whether or not you're battling with the kingdom of self this is what will cloud your vision with regard to the gospel and what Jesus is for us he says, I'll, I'll give you five questions to ask of yourself regularly. I like that word regularly. It's, this is not going to be something that goes away, friends. These questions are not designed to beat you down with guilt, but to give you eyes to, the, give you eyes to see the deceptiveness of the kingdom of self. Number one question, self-focus. Before making a decision, do you think what's in it for me? Or do you freely sacrifice the good for the good of another without expecting a return? Number two, self-righteousness. Are you more concerned with and on the lookout for the sin, weakness, and moral failures of others than you are your own? It'll be hard to see Jesus if you got your eyes on everybody else's problem. Number three, self-satisfaction. Do you feel regularly discontent? I'm just going to let that hang out there for a second. Do you feel regularly discontent, always looking for something new to satisfy you instead of being satisfied with a God-honoring life? Number four, self-reliance. Do you avoid living in intrusive and intentional relationships where others admit their need for grace and seek the help of biblical community? Do you avoid messy people with messy lives? Just to tell you, if you're new to Waterbrook, this is not the place to come. <laughs> At all. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Number five, self-rule. Which law gets the most attention and quickest response in your life and relationships? The law of the word of God or the law of your selfish desires? That's a pretty devastating list of questions but what is Tripp saying there you will not be able to see if you're looking for yourself if you're asserting yourself you'll not be able to hear the gospel and that's the problem we hear Jesus saying I'm going to go I'm going to be humiliated I'm going to be suffering it's going to be agony and we go don't talk about that talk about us how we're going to have a good life now he goes I'll tell you like we sang in the song right before the scriptures were read there's a day coming when it will be glorious but the road to that is a road to the cross so spiritual blindness is you know intentional ignorance secondly spiritual blindness is fearful resistance uh, we are resistant to the cross and the message of the cross because we're afraid what it means to us 
We were fearful. It's fearful. I use the words fearful resistance intentionally. Go back to that Luke text, in, uh, sorry, that Luke 9 text that I had read just a moment ago because I, I, I read it, but I went fast by it. Uh, I went to that section where they s- were arguing about who is greatest. But if you go back to Luke 9, 13, it says, but while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your, ear, your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were what? They were afraid to ask him about this saying. One of the reasons that we don't want to hear about the suffering of the cross is because we've suffered so much in our lives and we're done with it. And we doubt in our hearts that he, he will actually bring resurrection life out of our suffering. To take up our cross, theoretically, as Christians, we go, amen. In reality, we fight it all the way. Or at least I do. Uh, a quote that I learned as a young man that I've stuck, stuck with me all my life is a quote by a Fre- French Jesuit from the 18th century, Jean Gru. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, he's in one of the movies the kids like, Gru, is it? No, sorry, it's a different. Um, Jean Gru uh, w- was in Paris and uh, wanted to stay in Paris when the French Revolution uh, broke out, but he was advised to move, so he went to England and was over there uh, in England. But this is the line I like from him. He says, the chief pang of most of our trials is not so much the actual suffering itself as our own spirit of resistance to it. We agonize over the call of the cross to suffer for others. When I've been doing my research with pastors, pastors who've been ministering for a long time, uh, one of the hardest things about pastoring is knowing that suffering is coming, that you're going to suffer with your people. And there's an accumulative effect, there's a traumatic effect sometimes of the events of pastoring. When Marianne and I left Thunder Bay and, and uh, moved this way, and we were wrestling through that, I had this nagging thought in the back of my head, I just want to be honest, that one of the reasons that I was fighting against in leaving Thunder Bay, we believe God called us and thankfully we're here, um, but in that process, one of the things that was really nagging at me is I didn't want to bury any more of my friends. I had buried faith there. I had started to bury some of the older, dear friends who I'd known for years. And I thought, God, I just can't do this anymore. Now, I didn't say that as my number one reason, but I'll tell you, it was a reason. And you know, you and I look at the suffering of Christ and the call of the cross and we think to ourselves, I don't want to suffer anymore. I can't do this. And we hear that and it clouds our ability to see. But what is at the heart of that message when Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to be taken, arrested, flogged, crucified, buried, and then what's the next part? Raised from the dead. That's how the gospel works. He takes us through suffering in order that we might experience the power of the resurrection. We just we want the power of the resurrection without the suffering. Or at least I do. So listen to this uh, prayer by John Piper in Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. O Father, touch us with fresh faith that we might believe the incredible. The very pain of Christ that makes us despair is our salvation. 
waken the dead parts, or sorry, open our fearful hearts to receive the gospel. Waken the dead parts of our hearts that cannot feel what, we, what must be felt, that we are loved with deepest, strongest, purest love in the universe. Do you understand what's going on there? Piper is saying, when you hear the gospel, how can you not argue that he's for you? If God is for you, who can be against you? How can you not argue that he loves you? This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We don't hear that, but that's the reality. And so sometimes we have this fearful resistance. What's he going to ask of me? One of the reasons, other reasons why we lose sight is alongside with that spiritual blindness is a tearful existence. A tearful existence. As we hear the message of sorrow and suffering, we forget this great message that Christ will rise. And we can find ourselves, and some of you know this, some of you have been living in the doldrums. You've been living in sorrow and weariness. And, I, and just let me say this. I am not trying to preach this sermon to guilt anyone. I'm telling you, that's common. And, and, and we need to say to Jesus, Jesus, let me see again. Restore my sight. These are the things that cause us to lose sight of Jesus. I want, you, I want you to go to Luke 24. Let's go to the end of this gospel. Because at the end of the gospel, post-resurrection, after the resurrection, we have some disciples walking along on the road to Emmaus, one named Cleopas uh, and, and another one, maybe a spouse, making their way along, and they are in a funk because Jesus has been crucified. Now they have heard from the women the tomb was found empty. The rumors of resurrection are going around. Now Jesus has taught about it. He's instructed about it over and over again, but they're walking along in a funk, and Jesus comes along. Look at chapter 24, verse 25 and 26. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Friends, that's you, and that's me. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer things, these things and enter into what? His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He goes back to Moses and the prophets and he goes, don't you see in Genesis chapter 3 that the descendant of the woman would have his heel bruised by the serpent? But his heel would crush the serpent's head. Right from the beginning, all the way in through, into Isaiah chapter 53. This suffering servant would come and suffer in order to defeat sin and reconcile us and establish a new covenant with God. Jesus starts going, how can you not see? It is here everywhere. Oh, you foolish and slow to understand. My dear friends, I'm really slow. I'm slow to believe the gospel. Slow to hear the message and appropriate it. Down in Luke chapter 24, 44, Jesus says again, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written in the law and prophets and psalms must be fulfilled. You see, Jesus is the meaning of the Bible. Gabe was teaching uh, our hermeneutics Bible study class on Wednesday night. He said Jesus is the interpretive key. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus dying, coming, being human, coming as a merciful high priest, suffering in our place as a substitution, rising from the dead. All of Scripture is about Jesus. If you don't see Jesus, 
might be because you're writing your own story. Looking for a genie in a bottle. Wanting to be Lord yourself. So I need to ask this question this morning. Especially especially if you're walking along sorrowful. Have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost him? Now here's good news. We see it in the blind man. The persistent, tenacious blind man. Jesus will walk up to him and say, well, what do you want me to do for you? Aren't you glad Jesus says that? Because he's saying that to you right now. He's not belittling. He's not shaming. He's not ridiculing you. He's offering himself to you in the struggle, in the battle, right now. So let's, let's talk about the mercy of spiritual sight. That's the miserableness of spiritual blindness. What about the mercy of spiritual sight? So a crowd is going by, we're told, by Luke, and this blind man inquires what it means, and they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and the man begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, what? Have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, you be quiet, and he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I, I think the people looked at this man and thought he was pathetic and an outcast and needed to be silenced, but this is the one man in the crowd that sees. He knows who it is. And so spiritual sight is helpful for one reason. It produces clarity. It makes the identity of Christ in the scriptures comprehensible even to a blind man. He is the son of David. Isn't that great? Who's going by? Who's walking by? They, he's, he's saying who it is, and they say, it's that Jesus of Nazareth guy. And immediately there is a theological declaration by the blind man. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth. What does he say? <laughs> son of David. Somehow, this man with no sight has had ears to hear. And he is through an oral tradition of reading the Old Testament and the testimony of Jesus of Nazareth and all that he's done. He's done the calculation with the help of God and he's put one and one together and he's realized Jesus is the Messiah. He sees Jesus as the promised one that God has given to him. That's one of the beauties. Do you see Jesus that way today? Not a genie in a bottle, not a moral teacher to help you get your life together, not a rah, rah, rah to just make life easier. This is the one who knew you in your deepest need, cared about you in your darkest night, and took on your greatest weight and burden, going to the cross in order that you might be set free. Not just for a moment, but for all eternity. Spiritual sight gives you clarity. Spiritual sight gives you audacity. <laughs> Don't you love this guy? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I hope some of you are praying that today. Just do it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Will you be quiet? Quiet, quiet. No, I will not be quiet. This is the, the Lamb of God walking by. This is the promised Messiah. This is the one the Ancient of Days said would be coming. He will not be silent. 
David Garland writes, the attempt to stifle his messianic cries to Jesus as the son of David is parallel to the Pharisees' attempt to curb the enthusiastic cheers of Jesus' followers as they shout messianic slogans when he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He adds, the blind man will not be silent. He cries out all the more shrilly. His persistence is like that of the widow in chapter 18 who will not be put off in Jesus' parable. The beggar's faith will not be throttled by the crowd. Friend, do not let your cries to Jesus be throttled. Like Zacchaeus, he will overcome obstacles and persist in shouting all the more, son of David, Help me. Now again, let me just remind you in this text, he says that and Jesus hears him and brings him and says words that define and orient Jesus than any other religious God or religious ruler. Jesus says this question, which he says to you today, what do you want me to do for you? And he's expecting you to give an honest answer. This man says, I want my sight to be restored. And so that's why I say spiritual sight offers, also fosters transparency. His spiritual sight makes the authority of Christ beautiful to the blind man. He is the Lord who serves. Notice he says the word, Lord, may I receive sight. In Luke's gospel, that's not a throwaway word. Jesus is Lord. He's acknowledging that Jesus has authority that nobody else has. He's not another rabbi. He's not another priest. He's not another religious guy who's starting a uh, movement. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the Messiah who has been promised. Lord, I want to see. Jesus stands before him and says, what do you want me to do for you? There is no other God like this God. The suffering servant. If If you listen to Jesus saying over and over again, the Son of Man will be betrayed. The Son of Man will be flogged, arrested and flogged. The Son of Man will be crucified. The Son of Man will be buried in a grave. The Son of Man will rise from the dead. You and I are meant to say, why? You know, I meant to go and go, what? What are you doing? And and we're to hear that, and when Jesus stands in front of us and says, what do you want me to do for you? We're to go back to the cross and say, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, freely give us all things? The cross and the message of the gospel is the thing that fosters our faith that these little temporary things we're struggling with, he will not let us go. He will not leave us alone. And finally, spiritual sight fosters or produces or always ends in doxology at the end of this passage what's going on praise look at that end of that text in Luke 18 it says and Jesus verse 42 said to him recover your sight your faith has made you well and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to who Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. That's what I do. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we acknowledge that we need spiritual sight, we lose sight of you, help us today. If there's one person today who has never seen Jesus with the eyes of faith, we pray, dear God, give them eyes to see. But for all of us, dear God, our self gets in the way. Heavenly Father, our fears get in the way. Heavenly Father, our sorrows and our losses get in the way. But thank you, Jesus, you're greater than all of that. You entered into this world so that you might conquer all those things. Give us eyes to see. Even today, clear our vision. Hear our cry. So that, Jesus, you might receive the glory that is due your name. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, magnify the name of the Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.